before we get to our sermon for the day, I want to tell you that this Sunday in recent years has been referred to as National Youth Pastor Preach Sunday. Now, maybe youth pastors are the only ones who know about this, but now you do too. Of course, this is said in jest, but often it is true that in the ministry world, that this Sunday happens to be one of the lower attended Sundays of the entire year. And so many lead pastors or associate pastors may go away on vacation or take a Sunday off. And, and so they look to that young youth pastor who's maybe preached only five sermons and figure, well, what do we have to lose? Yes, this is actually a thing in some churches. I want to be very clear, it has never been true in this church. This church invited me as a youth pastor to start a youth ministry uh, 37 years ago. Our church family loves our youth ministry, and we have been supported generously as we've seen hundreds of youth go out to serve God in their chosen vocations around the world. I chose to preach today, and I'm honored to be not only a youth pastor, but a children's pastor and a pastor to all ages. Thank you for blessing my life, my family, and this ministry. Now this does take us to the sermon, because in my past youth ministry history, now spanning over 40 some years, I actually journeyed to and had a summer job as a youth pastor at a United Methodist Church in Little Bunker Hill, Illinois. Bunker Hill is a very small town of 1,700 people, very near the Mississippi River. And I was asked to come and organize a youth ministry for the summer and to lead events and growth programs for the students there. I just graduated college and was looking forward to marrying Nancy at the end of that summer before heading off to seminary. You may know I grew up in the cities of Baltimore and Washington, D.C., the metro areas there. So moving to a small town was a culture shock. Within a day or two of arriving, I saw a copy of the weekly newspaper, the Bunker Hill Gazette, and they had a section listing who visited who over the last week. I thought, this is ridiculous. Who cares about that? The ranks came in from California and visited their aunt, and they had a splendid time eating a good dinner around the table. Things like that. Well, as the summer progressed, I have a confession. I got to know more and more people in that little town, and guess who started reading that column? <laughs> Me. In the summer of 1981, well before social media, this was my connection piece. I could catch up with people from around the church and know who had gone on vacation and what people came to visit them, and wow, I know you must be asking, who is divulging all this information? Well, visits are what we're going to talk about today. Through this Advent season, we've been on an Advent journey. On the first Sunday, we talked about the importance of a map and the prophet Micah, whom the Lord used to show us that map. And on the second Sunday, we talked about the importance of family and connection on the journey through the story of Mary's journey to see Elizabeth. On the third Sunday, we talked about the unexpected features of the journey as the angel surprisingly came to visit Joseph. And then on the fourth Sunday, we talked about the playlist of songs 
we went on the journey as we focused on Mary's song of praise to the Lord. Then Christmas Eve, we talked about what it means to arrive at our destination as we celebrated the birth of Jesus. Journeys are often about visitations. And for our purpose today, we're gonna to take visitation much deeper and talking about it as going to see and spend time with someone socially. Though the visit may be short or long, either way, it is a true connection and life-changing event, even in the smallest way. Your journey to visit loved ones takes you to a place where you connect with people. Your journey may also be a visit to a place where you don't already know the people, but in the process you visit with waiters and waitresses, hotel workers, homeowners, tour guides, etc. Our visits may be scheduled or they may be surprising. God calls us to remember the scheduled visit, the scheduled gift of his visitation to our neighborhood and what it means to us. And he reminds us to look for the surprises of the, his ever-present visit in our lives and how he reveals himself in those who visit and we visit. So today, through the story of the wise men visiting Jesus, we're going to uncover what we learn from this visit about God's visit to us, our visit to others, and from others. And of course, as you are hearing us talk about the importance of visiting, please think about this both within the pandemic season we're in and when it is over. We want to read from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Matthew 2, 1 to 12 says this. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men, astrologers or magi, from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah, the Christ, was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd or rule my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. And then he went to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they sent out. And there ahead of them went the star that they had, been, had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. And opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, let's review this story very quickly. Only Matthew tells it. 
This was in the time of King Herod. In 2015, when I journeyed to Israel with people from our church, I remember our tour guide clearly saying to us, if you're going to understand the life and times of Jesus, you have to understand the life and times of Herod and his family. The regime of Herod and his sons and his brothers was one of the, the most evil ever. These were oppressive times. And then add in the Roman rule as well. It is significant writer mentions in the time of Herod. Everyone who read that could already understand the context. It's also important as we talk about this story to weed out some of the, the wise men myths. The first one is often that they came the same night as the shepherds. It was an open house at the stable. They were out in the waiting room waiting for the shepherds to get done and then they they came in and Mary and Joseph just got no sleep because of all the visitors that night. Well, the truth, from what we know, as scholars have studied this, the wise men came later. Uh, the words here say they entered a house. And Jesus was probably not yet two years old, but he certainly was not still lying in a manger. And the second myth is that there were three of them. Well, nowhere does it ever say that there were three of them. We get that from the fact that there were three gifts that were brought but there could have been many more than three, or there could have been two, and we get that because we see wise men. In any case, because we want this to be a, a clearer picture, kind of get that in our mind of where this was going on, how it might have looked. The Gentile Magi came to Herod, having heard about this king. And Herod and all of Jerusalem were afraid because Herod was simply paranoid that his throne was going to be taken over at any time. When you are doing evil things, you are always looking over your shoulder. And he was looking over his shoulder. And he calls together the find the king task force, his chief priests and scribes, to find out where the Messiah was to be born. David Dienhois uh, offers a, a great insight here. He's a professor of New Testament studies at Seattle Pacific. And he says, note the irony that while Gentile magi know of the Messiah's birth, Herod, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, are ignorant of the fact though they do have trustworthy scriptures informing them that the Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem. Herod still has to rely on these Gentile magi who come to find Jesus. The chief priests and scribes finally do come up with something as if to say, oh, oh, look, we found it, we found it. They quote the prophet Micah 5 and Micah 5 too, which was the map that we actually talked about on the first Sunday of Advent where it says, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd or rule my people Israel. So Herod calls the wise men back in uh, to learn the exact time the star appeared, and, and then he starts to lie that he, yeah, he wants to go and honor this king too. So the wise men follow this moving star which many believe was another conjunction of planets, just like we've experienced over the last couple of days. And when they get there, when the star stops, it says they were overwhelmed with joy. I think about how fun it would have been to be with them, to see their expressions on their face and to go, yes, we've arrived. And in verse 11, they enter the house and there is the child and Mary. We don't know where Joseph was at this time. He could have been out working. 
and of course Mary was not able to take a picture and prove that they were there, but she had quite a story to tell. They kneel down, they worship this child, they open up the treasure chest, they give the gifts, and then in a dream they're warned to not return the same way they came. Visits in the story of Christmas are very important. The first visit by the shepherds magnifies God's priority given to those who are in the lowest castes. Shepherds were made fun of and given little to no respect, and yet they were given the honor of being the first visitors. And throughout Jesus' teachings, we see his focus on loving the downcast and those who were excluded. And of course, the second big visit was by some of the most powerful people in the entire world at that time. They were on the other end of the spectrum, and yet they got to be visitors too. They opened their treasure chests. They were overwhelmed with joy. But what do we learn from this? What do we learn from this visit of the Magi to see the Christ child? What do we learn about God's visit and our own visits? Number one, God will visit whenever, wherever, and however he wants. The Magi were looking for his visit. They did their homework and they had seen the prophecies. They were looking for a king like no other. God had visited in a way nobody expected. He came not as a king with a throne and a palace. He came as a baby born to two poor parents in a stable. And the kings ultimately found him in a house. The Magi could have dismissed this visit as the wrong address, but instead they knelt down, they gave gifts. And God has not ceased visiting our world and our lives. G.K. Chesterton, in his book, The Everlasting Man, said, right in the middle of all these things stands up an enormous exception. It is quite unlike anything else. It is nothing less than the loud assertion that this mysterious maker of the world has visited his world in person. The most that any primitive myth has ever suggested was that the creator was present at the creation, but that the creator was present at scenes like supper parties and that he talked with tax collectors and public officials in the detailed daily life of the Roman Empire, that is something utterly unlike anything else in nature. Question. Every day, God is entering our world, making connections with us, but do we stop long enough to recognize him? Are we looking for his visits? Number two, God desires for us to visit him, to seek him out, and God will show his presence. It is hard to tell from the scripture, but this may not have been an easy journey. The wise men had to persevere. They had to get back to the conniving King Herod. They probably had doubts about the star at some points. They, they were asking what would happen when they finally got there? And yet, they kept going. They would not be stopped because they had faith in what they had studied and God was guiding them the whole way. Our journey with God is one of seeking first his kingdom. It is to be a true relationship where both parties are seeking to connect with one another. And often we use the language of being so thankful that God is walking with us. And certainly scripture points the fact that God is walking 
with us. And while it is not wrong to refer to it that way, it is even more important for us to declare that we indeed are walking with God and journeying with him to his destination. As we seek him through God's word, through prayer, through listening, through connection with others on the road, we will see him at work in our lives and in our world. Question, are we seeking God? or hoping he will just always just come and visit us. Number three, celebrate the visit of God through Jesus to our earth. You know, we'll never know how much the wise men really knew about the one they were worshiping, but they had studied enough to know that this was the king of kings. Through God, through God though God visits his people and his world all the time, this was a unique visit in entering as 100% human and 100% God. Sometime today or even this week, I encourage you to pull out the Gospel of John, chapter one, verses one through 14, and read those words. And then at the end of that portion, it says the word God became flesh and made his home with us. You know, it's one thing to visit a place and its people. It is another to make our home there and living a new way of life so we could and would truly know those we are visiting. Question, how much do we appreciate God who chose to come and live among us? How much do we celebrate the impact of his visit to this earth in understanding the pain and joys we experience? And number four, it is a gift when we visit others, when they visit us. We live among them, they live among us. We are real to each other. Jesus set this example through sitting down for meals with tax collectors and prostitutes and teaching parables of those who are inviting, those who had been cast out or excluded to the table. And when we talk about love and hate in our world, one thing is true. It is easy to hate people that affect people until we visit them or they visit us. When we visit others, we see them in their world. They see us in ours. We ask questions. We listen. We learn. We learn to love. And notice I didn't say we always agree with them. And in fact, we may strongly disagree with them. And we may have to stand up for justice, but it will only be because we have taken the time to visit in their world and to know them and to listen and to learn. And to love. I could give you examples of this, but you've probably already thought of some, and I'm certainly I would love to talk more if you'd like to figure out how this plays out in some of the more complicated arenas. How do we visit with people? Martin Luther King Jr. in his sermon on Antidotes for Fear says, hatred paralyzes life, love releases it. Hatred confuses life, love harmonizes it. Hatred darkens life, love illumines it. It's easy to hate when we choose to not love, not to visit, not to listen. And I know we're in the middle of a pandemic where we're told not to be visiting with others, but please think about how, what this would mean for you to be able to visit in other ways in this time and then beyond this pandemic, get back to visiting. Question, who are you visiting? Who needs a visit? 
Who is visiting you? God visits. We visit God. We celebrate his visit through Jesus. We visit God's people, and they visit us. It brings life. Peter Larson, a Presbyterian pastor in Ohio, once said, despite our efforts to keep him out, God intrudes. The life of Jesus is bracketed by two impossibilities, a virgin's womb and an empty tomb. Jesus entered our world through a door marked no entrance and left through a door marked no exit. In our lives, may we journey well in the presence of the God who will not be stopped and bring his presence to others as they bring his presence to us. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.